And welcome back to the Bible Information Brokers. My name is Brian Allen, and with us is Dr. Robert Bowman Jr. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we've, uh, you guys have been uh, calling in with some great questions as always. Let me give you the toll free number again. We have a couple open lines 1 888 LA Talks, 1 888 2557. Again, 1 888 LA Talks, 1 we're talking with Christy, and we're going to get to her call, but and, uh, Will and Charlie, hang on. But before, uh, but before we go there, um, Dr. Bowman, you know, um, can you just briefly share with the listening audience um, why it's so important to have the right Jesus, okay? And, you know, in, in regarding our salvation, you know, I truly believe it doesn't... Uh, depend on the pronunciation of the name, but uh, explain to our listening audience what that's all about insofar as why Jesus came to this earth, died for our sins, rose from the dead. Well, yes, that's really the heart of the gospel, isn't it? Uh, and the heart of the gospel is is who Jesus is and what he has done for us. Uh, Paul said that it was of first importance uh, to the gospel, to uh, to understand that uh, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, uh, and that he appeared uh, to a number of individuals. And Paul uh, ticks off a list of, of those people: Peter and the the, uh, the twelve, and and James, and, and he says, last of all, uh, me. <laughs> And this is in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 through 8. Uh, so it's, it's basic to the gospel, uh, fundamental importance, what Christ did for us, and also who this Christ is that did it. Um, that he is himself the Lord, uh, and so that is, in fact, uh, uh, the Lord who is our maker, uh, who has come into this world uh, uniting himself with our very uh, weak and finite nature in order to save us. Uh, Jesus said in John 8, uh, unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. Uh, in the context, uh, that is a, a claim to deity. He's saying, unless you believe that I am he, <laughs> Uh, this is an echo of the words of God in, in the Old Testament and Isaiah and other places. So uh, Paul kind of sums it up this way in Romans 10, verses 9 and 10. He says, if you believe that Jesus is Lord and confess that God, if you confess that Jesus is Lord and believe that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So it's, it's believing who Jesus is, that he is the Lord, uh, Yahweh or Jehovah, that he is He is the Lord God, and uh, that God the Father raised Jesus from the dead. So Jesus died and he rose from the dead. Those are the basic facts of the gospel. Now, why is it important to believe those things? Why is this important at all? Because uh, what Jesus did, did was he rescued us from our he rescues us from our sin. 
We are creatures made to have a relationship with God. We're created with the ability to understand something about who God is and to have a relationship with him. And yet we are all estranged from God. We're cut off from him, alienated from God, because we have gone our own way. We want to run our own lives. We want to be our own boss, our own God, as it were. And that is the heart of what the Bible calls sin. Sin isn't merely uh, getting in trouble with the law and doing something really terrible like uh, committing a murder or something like that. That is sin, but that's not the heart of it. The heart of sin is rebellion against God and his will. It's alienation from God. And so everything that we do that's wrong, whether it's, uh, you know, uh, yelling at our kids in an unkind way or whatever it might be, those are symptoms of our spiritual problem, that we are uh, cut off from our own creator. Uh, and the most tremendous privilege that we could ever have is to have a relationship with him, and we, we scuttled that by our sin. So what the Bible is telling us is that Jesus is the answer to that problem. And so it's vital, it's essential to know who Jesus is, to know what, what he's done for us. And in putting our trust in Christ, in, in acknowledging what he has done for us by dying for us on the cross and rising from the dead so that we might have new life, in putting our trust in him and accepting that gift that he has given us, we come back into a relationship with God. We, come t- we get to have that uh, love relationship with the creator of the universe. And so that's why it's so important to know who Jesus is and to know what he did, because it's all about life. It's about eternal life. And it's about the meaning of life, which is a relationship with the creator of the universe. And so anybody who's listening who's confused on this point or who has not yet uh, come to that point in their life where they have put their faith in Christ uh, as their Savior, as the one who brings them back into relationship with God the Father. I, I hope that they will do that uh, now, because th- that is what life is really all about. Today is the day of salvation, and remember, eternity is too long to be wrong. So if there is anyone out there, like Dr. Bowman just mentioned, call us. One triple eight LA Talks, one triple eight five two eight two five five seven. Give us a call now. All right, Dr. Bowman, thank you so much. We're gonna go back to Christy in LA and um and we're gonna deal with her question. Christy, are you there? Yes. Okay. So Christy, why don't we just uh why don't you um just again just uh uh, state the question that you had for uh, for Dr. Bowman. Well, Dr. Bowman, um, if you don't mind, I'm going to kind of switch it up because <laughs> um, I know I don't want to take all the callers' time because um, you kind of answered a little bit by you speaking right now. But what I was listening to <clears throat> and it came to my head was when... Um, like to get the right Jesus. In other words, I'm a born-again Christian, so I kind of know the, you know, the, well, I don't know how to explain this. But in other words, um, they say, 
like let's say your heart is really filled with passion for Christ, but the Mormons have it wrong, Jehovah's have it wrong, but let's say they truly love Christ. Wouldn't God be gracious enough to say, okay, this person really is trying to do the right thing for me. He's ignorant on knowing the truth, but um, I know that in his heart, he loves me. So wouldn't he still go to heaven um, because of his heart? If that makes any well, sense. Yeah, you know I, I, I understand. Yeah, sure. I, I think I understand what you're asking. And let me let me put it to you this way: uh, we want to avoid two extremes here. One extreme would be the idea that it really doesn't matter what a person believes, and as long as they're sincere. So, if we talk about what's in a person's heart, uh, if all we're looking at is are they sincere, that would be that would not be enough. So if you sincerely believe uh, that Jesus was a false prophet, I'm sorry, that's that's going to you're going to, you're going to find yourself in some trouble because that yeah. that sincere belief is wrong. <laughs> and I think I think you, obviously you you agree with that. So uh, just being sincere isn't isn't enough. So so for example, members of non-Christian religions who reject Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life, as, as John 14, 6 puts it. Uh, you know, we have no uh, basis for, for uh, confidence that that person, uh, people that, that take that position, uh, can be saved. Uh, they need to hear the gospel, and they need to repent and believe in it. So that's one extreme. The other extreme is, would be the uh, extreme of saying that you have to be able to pass a doctrinal exam in order to be saved. So that before you, you know, imagine, you know, as you come up uh, to the gates of heaven, you know, as it were, and you, you, you're said, oh, you're told, taken to a room and sat down at a, a table or a desk, and, uh, and and you've got a 10-page theology exam, and you, you need to get a 93-plus uh, in order to be saved. Uh, you know, that that's the other extreme. So we're not we're not saying that you have to be able to pass a doctrinal exam, and that if somebody uh, doesn't quite understand the doctrine of the Trinity, for example, that they can't be saved, or if they don't understand, uh, you know, this or that uh, specific doctrinal question about the nature of salvation or or how God does things and, and so forth and so on, that that they um, that they can't be saved. Uh, but what we are saying is that if if you have a, a belief system that is uh, really antagonistic to the biblical gospel. Uh, if your belief system is based on something other than the Bible, is based on something that really draws a line and says, we're not going to accept what the Bible says about this. We're going to reinterpret it. We're going to change it. We're going to fix it. We're going to reject it. <laughs> um, then, then that's a sign of a spiritual problem. Uh, so false doctrine uh, is a symptom uh, of a spiritual problem, and it's again, it's possible to misdiagnose somebody. A doctor can be mistaken in a diagnosis based on misinterpreting a symptom. So, I don't have the the ability to judge a person's heart based on their doctrine. I can't tell a Mormon you're going to hell based on what you say. I, I don't know that. I, I I don't know that person's heart. So you're right to bring that up, but if, if what I can say to the Mormon is, if you really believe that, 
then I, I'm concerned for your salvation because I have, you know, I have to compare what you're saying with what the Bible says is really important here to know. And so if you're saying that, you know, there are many gods and we can become gods too, which is what Mormonism teaches, um, that's a real problem. And yeah. it raises questions about whether a person can be saved if they believe that. So that's the balance. I, I don't want to, you know, I, I'm, I'm theologically trained. I could probably pass that theology exam, assuming that my theology is basically correct. But that's not how you're saved. You're saved yeah. by putting your trust in the real Jesus. Okay. The problem is, is that if you have a religion that teaches a false understanding of Jesus, that can get in the way of the person coming to salvation. Thank you for that. Listen, I, I don't want to take all your air time. I could try to call another time, but I just have one that's really important, and I don't even think, Doctor, you'll have the answer, but I pray to God all the time about this because um, only a person that loves animals would understand my my anguish over losing my pet. And I, like I said, I've, I've tried to research all about it, and I just want to say, is you know I pray to the Lord all the time and say Lord you know when when we pass on will we be able to see our creatures up there I mean you know it might be a frivolous question but to people that um, love animals no this is yeah we this, we get this question this is, a lot of times uh, oh okay really, so I oh, I just I just want to really know your opinion well let me let me just say and I think this is a, a if I could put it this way, and this is a teachable moment because it's not just about the animals. It's about what kind of life uh, in eternity we're going to have. Yes, exactly. Uh, yes. You know, we're, the Bible does not envision eternal eternity, uh, eternal life as us existing in a disembodied state in heaven. Uh that is a temporary situation for believers while they're awaiting the resurrection from the dead. What the Bible tells us that we're going to be doing for eternity is living in the new heavens and new earth. In other words, the universe will be new. It'll be how it's going to be new. We're, we don't know the details, but we're going to be resurrected beings. We're going to be human beings with our bodies raised from the dead and given immortality and glory. Uh, so we'll be living forever in, as as I understand it, physical or material be human beings in a material world where we will be interacting with one another. And very likely, very reasonably, uh, we could expect to be interacting with animals as well. Now, you know, can God resurrect an animal like a pet, uh, a dog or a cat? Uh, I'm not going to say what God can or can't do, but... Animals, by their nature, are uh, their 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 lives are temporary, and so I don't personally, and I, this may be upsetting, I, I don't personally have any reason to think that animals will be resurrected from the dead and live in the new heavens and new earth. You know, our old pets, but I do know this, and this I I we can bank on this. Revelation 21 says that God will wipe every tear from our eyes. So if, if we don't have, and I, I don't have any scripture that says that animals, we, that we won't see those pets. So I'm, I can't be dogmatic about it. 
But <laughs> what I would say this, if, if we don't have those pets, we'll have other things like that, maybe other animals uh, that, that we will have relationships with, uh, as well as with one another, uh, that, will, that will be very uh, comforting and very encouraging and, and very happy and joyful. So there's nothing to worry about there. Um, you know, pets are pets are very, very important to a lot of people, and I totally get that, even though I'm not a pet lover myself. I have pets. Our family, we have a dog and two cats, and they're, they're part of the family. Uh, so I understand that, and I just I can't answer that question definitively or dogmatically, but what I can tell you is this. God never takes something away from us in eternity is not going to be replaced with something even better. Right. You know, you know, Chrissy, one thing we, we got to stick by, if the, if the Bible's silent on something, you know, we have to be silent on it as well. And, yeah. and, and, you know, you know, I was going to mention the path, the passage that, that Dr. Bowman talked about, you know, even with our loved ones, if we don't see our loved ones in heaven, we're not going to suffer. It says there's going to be no pain, no suffering. Now how God does it, you know, I don't know, but that's the way it will be. So there's going to be no suffering, no pain, no sorrow. Okay, and you can bank on that. And so, so that's well, the that's the best yeah. we can do. No, you did great. Um, and and of course you can just tell me. You know, you need to go to the next caller. But my yeah. my last my last my last question quickly was, um, you know, when I when I um was in my 20s. I had, um, I was very, very religious. I was obsessed with Christ. I was Catholic at the time. I wasn't Christian yet. But anyway, um, <clears throat> I had a vision of him, and I was living on the fast lane. I mean, really fast. I was, you know, pretty crazy girl. And all of a sudden, you know, I still have the obsession with Christ. And all of a sudden, I was going to do something really bad. And then all of a sudden, I got a vision of Christ. And it was just as head and you know he came off the cross he had the thorns on and he had a patch on his eye well anyway that's what saved me and i became a born-again christian but i up to this time in my life i still don't know what he was trying to tell me um by coming to me that way and i'm still trying to figure out why because i haven't done anything miraculous for him and i wish i would have by that but i haven't done anything i try to do the best i can to serve you know to be a servant of christ but i didn't do anything good in my life because of that but i'm just trying to figure out why would he just save me i mean that, that made no sense to me why he would want to well, save or even i can tell you i can tell you this that uh that uh there are going to be, we're going to find, as we get to know people in eternity, they're going to, we're going to find millions of people that seemingly never, you know, did anything really fantastic or amazing that everybody heard about. Uh, but in their own quiet way, they were part of the kingdom of God. They were part of, uh, you know, uh, the, the people living for Christ and making a difference in ways that they may not even have been aware of. So, Rather than worrying about, about, about that, just focus on doing what the New Testament tells us to do. Major on the majors, the double love command, loving God with your whole heart, mind, soul, and strength, loving your neighbor as yourself, um, you know, just being a, a Christian, growing in your faith, loving one another, 
stick, you know, focus on doing those things and God will use you uh, and he'll use you sometimes in ways you're not even aware of, but, but, but God will, God will work in you and God will work through you and, and you don't need to figure this out. It'll, it'll happen. It'll come. It may already be happening. All right. We, Chrissy, we're going to have, all right, we're going to have to go. Thank you so much for your questions. You didn't do, you, you you didn't do bad. You got three of them in. (laughs) Thank you. I'll I'll call it. I'll call again next week. Thank you. All righty. Thank you. Bye. And blessings to both of you. Thank you so much. Bye. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I did forget to mention to you that this is a faith-supported broadcast. That means that um, your donations keep this radio broadcast on, okay? Um, it pays uh, the radio bill. It pays everything associated with our, uh, with our show. And so here's the thing. If you believe in what we're doing, if you believe in this broadcast, you believe in, the, in this ministry, then we're going to ask that you support us financially and prayerfully. Definitely want to thank you for your prayers. I definitely want to thank you for those uh, that, that that continue to support us. And so a couple ways you can do that. You can go right to our website. You can go to BibleInfoBrokers.com, BibleInfoBrokers.com. Go to the page that says Support and Donate, and you can give right online. It's just very simple. It's quick. It's easy. And so um, you definitely uh, can do it that way, and uh, it just makes life a whole lot easier. Or you can, if, if you still like to mail in your checks or, or cash your check of money, you can still do that as well. Uh, you can mail it to um, LBTW slash BIB, P.O. Box 90477, Los Angeles, California, 90009. Once again, P.O. Box 90477, Los Angeles, California, 90009. And definitely want to thank you in advance for your donations. And I want to thank you in advance for your prayers. All right. We are going to move on. Okay. Remember, Rob, I said don't call it the last minute. Okay. Now we've got a full board. Okay. We're going to go to, um, we're going to go to Will in the Los Angeles area. Will, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Fine. How are you doing tonight? Doing great. Your question for this evening, Will. My question is, has God appointed prophets to, to edify the church or warn the church today or, or not? That, that's my question. And, and, if, and, if, and if he did, uh, is there some scripture to, you know, to validate it? Uh, Rob, I'm going to let you answer that one. But I, I do want to say this. In, in uh, a lot of the—there uh, there are a lot of self-appointed apostles and self-appointed prophets— uh, that I would say that you see on some of these TV shows that I do not believe are uh, prophets. And, uh, you know, an apostle, again, is uh, someone that was uh, an eyewitness and, and taught by Christ. So okay. uh, y- your, your thoughts on, on modern-day prophets, uh, uh, Dr. Bowman? Yes, well, it's, it's a good question. I, I would say this, the closest thing that we have to prophets today that are real prophets or true prophets don't call themselves that. Uh, they they are simply uh, Christians who are standing up for the word of God and uh, speaking the truth and warning people of the truth. And in that sense, we have people that do that today. But in the uh, usual sense of the term prophet, which would be somebody who um, 
is uh, speaks words of God that are inspired and that could be regarded as equal in, in authority to the words of the Bible. Uh, do we have people like that today? And my answer would be no. Uh, pro- apostles and prophets uh, were in the Bible. Uh, they, they weren't always. I mean, there were periods of time when there were no prophets at all. But uh, there were uh, prophets in the Old Testament. There were apostles and prophets in the New Testament period for the first uh, generation of the church. And Paul makes it quite clear in Ephesians uh, that these apostles and prophets were a foundational ministry. That is, they, their purpose was to lay the foundation of the Christian church by being spokesmen through whom God, uh, through whom Christ spoke in order to uh, put the church on a solid footing and get things started. And so you see that in Ephesians 2.20 and Ephesians 3, verses 5 through 7, uh, and they're also mentioned in Ephesians 4.11. But these are foundational ministries. They're not ongoing, continuing ministries. And so at the end of the first century or thereabouts, uh, the apostles and prophets uh, died out, and uh, God didn't replace them. And so we don't have apostles and prophets today in, the, in that sense. Uh, what we do have are men and women of God who speak the truth fearlessly, uh, sometimes at the risk of their lives, uh, not so often here in the United States, but other places in particular, sometimes at the risk of their lives, they speak the truth fearlessly based on the Word of God in Scripture. And the other thing, too, is there are those that, you know, still hold to the uh, uh, gifts of the Spirit, which some will say, you know, will prophesy, but that's not being a, we're not, that's not looking at a prophet as, say, we, we know in the Bible. Um, right. Thank okay. you. Oh. Uh, all right. Thank you so much. Thank for, you for, for the answer. I appreciate that. Thanks. Uh, good, good, good night. Okay. Good Thanks. night. All right. All right. You are listening to the Bible Information Brokers. The toll-free number is one triple eight la talks one triple eight five two eight two five five seven. Let's go to Charlie in Los Angeles. Charlie, welcome to the broadcast. How are you doing? Uh, excellent, Brian. Thank you very much. And Dr. Bowman, thank you for your time this evening. I had a question. I still have it. I wanted to chime in real quickly on the lady's question about God's name because it was real, really a good question. Um, yeah. I, I read the Torah as well, which is the Hebrew to English version, and the word Hashem is is God's name. So, for example, in Deuteronomy 6, 4, it says, Hear, O Israel, Hashem is our God. Hashem is the one and only. You shall love Hashem, your God. So I think some clarity to bring another word into it besides Yahweh and Yahshua. Hashem is the way the Jews say today, Baruch Hashem which is blessed be the Lord, or blessed be God. So yeah, that, that, he does actually right. have a name. Yeah, well, that's very interesting. Ha- Hashem, uh, the name, is an expression you do find in the Old Testament, not actually in Deuteronomy 6.4, so that's apparently some kind of a, a paraphrase. You know, I'm reading Hebrews, the Torah right now. Deuteronomy 6.4 in Hebrew uh, uses... Uh, the tetragrammaton, the four-consonant name that is usually translated Yahweh or Jehovah. Uh, so the, not, so the not, Torah, just sorry, Dr. Bowman, I apologize, but the no, Torah no, that I'm ahead. reading is Hebrew to English, and it says, Hear, O Israel, Hashem is our God, is your God, Hashem is the one and only. 
it's Hashem is throughout the entire book. Not to, that's they're, not my they're question. Substituting, they're substituting Hashem for the divine name as part of the traditional Orthodox Jewish uh, me, uh, way of avoiding directly using the name. That's not so what, what is the name. Then what is the direct name? The Hebrew text in the Hebrew text of the Old Testament, the, it, the words there are, "Hero Israel, Yahweh." is our God, Yahweh alone. Okay, so Yahweh and Hashem. Well, that would go to the lady's point, I guess, of his name has been taken out of the Bible. Well, yeah, taken out of... Substitute, substituted. Some, some, some editions of the Bible or translations of the Bible use a substitute for the name Yahweh. Yes, that's true. So I guess and, my question was, if yeah. we can get past, I don't want to go backwards. And I'm not going to ask you three questions, I promise. <laughs> so with, with that, um, going back to, you know, get the right Jesus, which is a great topic. Jesus is Jewish. He taught in the synagogues. He taught on the Sabbath. He's the Lord of the Sabbath. Paul's Jewish. Stephen's Jewish. God is the God of Israel. Um, shouldn't we follow the Sabbath as Christians because it's part of the Ten Commandments? Well, that's a that's a real uh, left turn there from you know the subject of the real Jesus. Um, uh, Paul was also one of those Jewish disciples, and Paul addressed this issue, uh, I think, rather clearly in Colossians uh, two sixteen, where he says, uh, "Let no one judge you in matters of food and drink, or with regard to uh, a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath." And uh, in other words, you don't need to uh, be concerned uh, about those who tell you that you are somehow not obeying God or that you're not really following the truth if you don't observe these things. And these are all references to uh, Jewish uh, observances under the Mosaic Covenant. So the festival is the an, is is an annual celebration. The new moon is the monthly a monthly celebration or a monthly observance, and the Sabbath, of course, is the weekly observance. And so what Paul is saying in Colossians two sixteen is we're not going to judge one another over observance or non observance of those old covenant mosaic covenant uh, observances. We're just not going to do that. So if you want to if you want to uh, uh, worship uh, on Saturday or Sunday doesn't matter. By the way, Romans fourteen Sabbath is Sabbath doesn't mean Saturday. It just means the seventh day. It doesn't matter how you which wh- wh- where you start your count. The point of the Sabbath is every seventh day you set that day aside as sacred. It doesn't matter whether it's Monday, Sunday, Saturday, those are not biblical names. Those are, those are, those are uh, the originally Roman uh, terms that have been, become standardized references to particular days of the week, but it's not, got nothing to do with what the Bible means by the Sabbath. So Sabbath doesn't mean Saturday. And, and so the, the okay, whole so argument that's confusing about, because the whole argument we, about, they just the had Dr. I'm sorry, let me, let me finish my point. The whole argument about whether Christians should worship on Saturday or Sunday has nothing to do with the Bible. The Bible doesn't say anything about Saturday or Sunday. 
I wasn't saying that particularly. I was just wondering if we should follow the Sabbath, which is one of the commandments. So if we're not necessarily obliged by to follow the Sabbath necessarily, and it's one of the commandments, as it gets confusing, do we start disregarding or saying, you know, I don't really have to follow that one, or do we make it as best as possible to be careful to perform and observe all of the commandments and decrees as the book tries to tell us? Not that we're going to be perfect, and that's the point, right. but we should make well, it our best effort. Yeah, I, I yeah. Let me let me just say this: the only issue here, if if you're not worrying about the day now, but just the idea of observing a Sabbath rest, right, there are right. Christians, there are Christians who maintain that we should do that, and they're. I don't judge them as, you know, for that, and but there are also Christians that maintain that. It's not obligatory to observe a one day a week or one out of seven day rest because they understand the Sabbath command specifically out of the Ten Commandments to be treated differently in the New Testament in passages like Romans 14, which Brian mentioned, Colossians 2.16, which I mentioned. And so that that is a discussion that continues. I think we all understand that we need to obey God and we need to obey his word. That means paying attention to everything that the Bible says on these subjects. And it also means recognizing our the fact that we're finite and we're going to make mistakes and God's not going to judge us for being, you know, 99% right instead of 100% right. So if it turns out that someone is wrong on this, it's you know, I I don't think it's the end of the world. I, I guess what I'm trying to get at here is that I'm not arguing against Sabbath belief, the Sabbath observance. I I would only argue against judging people over the issue of Sabbath observance. That would be the only right, thing I would we shouldn't say. judge anybody. That's totally great, and I really appreciate your your answer. Thank you so much. That's sure. really enlightening. All right, sure. thanks so much, Charlie. Bye bye. Bye bye. I would think of the old uh, saying: "In essentials, unity; in non-essentials, liberty; in all things, charity." Amen. Um, yeah, we got a we got a uh, got an email from uh, I think it's from Reverend Reverend uh, Reverend Jackson, and he writes. Um, says your previous caller seemed to be more concerned about using the right name for God and Jesus rather than who they are. It's just as confusing as the Jesus only people who say that you must be baptized in the name of Jesus or you are not saved. What I have learned in my 30 years of biblical study and ministry is to not be entangled with babblings which do nothing but confuse people which push them away from the Savior rather than draw them to them. If you are in need of serious medical attention, I don't think the proper name of the attending physician will matter. You just want somebody that can save your life. Jesus is the only name above all names that can save us. And this is what Christians must concentrate on when witnessing rather than in significant issues. It's like arguing what does more damage, water or fire. Dr. Walter Martin made it very clear that the real issue is to make sure you have trusted the right Jesus who is able to save to the uttermost all those who come to him for salvation. All right, we're going to move on. We're going to go to Dan in the South Bay area. Hey, Dan, how are you doing? Hi, Brian. How are uh, you? 
I'm, I'm glad you're there considering uh, what the Cougars did to the Trojans. Oh, thanks for just rubbing that in my face, but that's okay. I'm, I, wanted, I wanted to say I'm sorry. Oh, th- well, you know what? The good thing is my salvation isn't dependent on the SC winning the national championship. But I kind of I, – I just kind of thought just they were all banged up, three tough games, and so they'll bounce back. They'll be fine. So, All right. Yeah, but, so uh, – but, but thanks for the reminder, okay? Yep. Hi, Dr. Bowman. Hello there. I, uh, it's good to uh, – thank you for standing in for the professor again. And uh, I wanted to recommend two books before I ask my question uh, about what you've been talking about, two really good books, one about the deity, the deity of Christ, putting Jesus in his place, and uh, the other one about the Trinity, why you should believe in the Trinity <laughs> by, by a good friend of ours, Robert Bowman Jr. That's right. Uh, and, another, well, and another good book. Folks, I did not put him up to calling, okay? I, I had nothing to do with it. <laughs> and that is a good, it's an excellent book, Putting Jesus in His Place. Our, our, our Dr. Bowman uh, is the author of that. And then there's the other one, uh, I, I really liked it, is um, uh, oh, me, Jesus Christ and the Gospel of John, or what's the title of that? Yeah, Jehovah's, Jehovah's Witnesses, Jesus Christ and the Gospel of John. That's a yeah. great one, too. Very good book. Well, all your books are good, and they're all on, on those topics and some that you've talked about, but these two are specific to what you're talking about tonight, and, and we'll right. cover those, uh, really cover these topics. But you did a great job in your few minutes that you did. Uh, only somebody like you could be so concise to cut it and explain it like you did. My question uh, has to do with uh, Islam. Uh, the Jesus of Islam, and they call right. him, they recognize Jesus, but they only recognize him as prophet. And then, and then since you might give a, a quick answer on that, is there in the body of Christ, in the different denominations and just different Orthodox, do, do they see uh, Christ, while they all agree on Trinity Catholics and, and uh, the rest of the body of Christ, do they look at the Trinity with differing views in that um so i guess it's kind of two-part it they cried uh, the I, jesus of islam I, and the jesus yeah. and the rest of the church i think i followed the first question but I, I i stumbled a little bit in understanding what you're asking on the second but let me go ahead and do do the first really quickly uh okay. it's interesting it turns out that islam's view of jesus is very similar to what we call the unitarian view of jesus Jesus was a man born of a virgin uh, and uh, is an exalted being in heaven. Now, the big difference is, big difference, is that Islam denies that Jesus died at all, and therefore, of course, denies that he rose from the dead. Uh, Mm. Jesus didn't die, according to Islam. Uh, He was simply uh, assumed up into heaven. Um, And... Therefore, there's no atonement, there's no sacrifice for sin, uh, there's no redemption. Islam is not a redemptive religion. It's a religion of rules and obedience to those rules, submission to the will of Allah. Uh, so that's the big difference. But it, there, are, there is that interesting parallel between the adoptionist or Unitarian view of Jesus as a virgin-born human being uh, who is exalted in heaven, 
uh, and the Islamic view, very similar in those in those ways. Now, maybe you could ask your second question again, because I apologize. I didn't quite understand what you were asking. I muddied the water. Let me see if I can make it a little briefer. Um, in the in the body of Christ, are according to different denominations, do they view the Trinity in, in varying shades? I see. Yeah. Well, the um, in any kind of major way, the answer would be no. Uh, there are slight differences of interpretation of the way God is triune in different theological traditions or movements, not specifically denominational. Uh, so, but there's some some of that, uh, but not mainly that. So, for example, uh, in the Roman Catholic Church, the Nicene Creed includes the phrase, the the term, and the Son, in speaking about the Holy Spirit proceeding from the Father and the Son. That phrase was added later. It wasn't written at Nicaea. Excuse me. I need some water. And um, the... uh, uh, the Orthodox Church in the East rejected that for that clause, that that line and the Son, which is in Latin filioque, and that was one of the theological arguments that the Catholic Church and the Orthodox Church were having when they made their split. It's not the main issue, but it was one of the issues. So that's an example of something where there's a little bit of a difference in the way the Trinity is explained. Now. Catholics and Orthodox both believe in the Trinity. It's not a different doctrine, but it is a different explanation of the doctrine on a fine point. Uh, Excuse me. Another example, which you find among uh, evangelical Protestants, is that some Protestants uh, believe that uh, the three persons of the Trinity are... uh, identical or equal in all ways uh, so that it's essentially uh, there there's no order uh, we call them the first second and third persons of the Trinity but they're not ranked you know as if one is greater than or or uh, in charge of the other two um, other evangelical Protestants believe that the father, has some kind of headship eternally in in the, within the Trinity in relation to the Son and the Holy Spirit. And this is sometimes referred to as the idea of eternal subordination, that the Son is always subordinate to the Father, whereas other Trinitarians, particularly within evangelicalism, maintain that the Son is subordinate to the Father only in his human nature. Now, I'm not going to settle this argument. I'm just giving you this as an example where you do find people arguing different points of view on how to explain the nature of the relationships among the three persons. In other words, all of both of these examples I gave you, the Catholic Orthodox debate and the internal debate among evangelicals, has to do with understanding the way the three persons relate to one another within the Trinity. Yes. They don't have to. They don't have anything to do with whether all three persons are equally divine in nature. They, everybody agrees on that point. 
Everybody right. agrees on the point that these are one God, not three gods. Right. So they're they're all Trinitarian, but they're and, and see, I would expect this uh, to be honest. This doesn't surprise me. If we're talking about the nature of God, and we're talking about something that has no direct, you know, an analog or example in nature, someone who's triune, I would mm-hmm. expect that it would be difficult for us to understand some things, and we'd have we have some unresolved issues. So that doesn't really bother me. <laughs> it would bother me rather if we said, oh, we totally understand the nature of God. That's easy. Then it wouldn't be God, would it? <laughs> so I, I'm not bothered by that. I'm not bothered by the fact that we continue to have some discussion and some disagreement over some fine points, as long as we understand that they are fine points and we don't uh, kind of excommunicate one another over them. Well, it's, I like your what you're talking about, about the subordinacy of Jesus as the man, and he always seemed to be that way. Yet as the Godhead, there would be no difference. Uh, and it always well, kind of gets back to when we try to explain yeah. God. It's kind of like the elephant, like the three blind men trying to describe the elephant. Well, fortunately, we have revelation. And so we're not simply grasping at our own you know, inadequate understanding, but... Uh, like like in that analogy. But on the other hand, even with Revelation, we don't have answers to all these questions. The, the Bible doesn't try to settle all these issues for us definitively. These are questions right. that come up as we reflect on the teachings of Scripture. Yes. All right. Hey, Dan, we're going to have to move on. We're, we're running out of time, but great question. And um, i definitely hear from you next week, I'm sure. Yep. Thanks so much, Brian. And thank you, nice thank to you, to you uh, Dr. Broman. All righty. God bless you, Dan. Bye-bye. Okay, let's see. we got a couple more. We're going to go to Ray in L.A. That rhyme. Ray in L.A. Let's get him up. Here we go. Jesus. My proper question is, for example, uh, Dr. Charles Stanley, whom I listen to regularly, said, Holy God cannot listen to people that are not saved. It's kind of like legal qualification you know and uh, I would like him to comment on that I do know that anybody that calls on God Jesus never says no but uh, I think it would be helpful to a lot of people on the listening to learn about people that you know God being holy can't look on he can't stand to look on sin fine now, those people that he doesn't hear their prayers, that's what I think would be very profitable indeed to expand on, please. Do you get that, Rob? Yes, I think so. Okay. Well, that's a really good question, and um, I think people no. get a little bit confused about this. I, I can't, I'm not going to attempt to address what uh, Charles Stanley says because I haven't heard it for myself, so I, I won't address it in that in that context, but I will address the issue. Thank you. Uh, in one sense, obviously God hears everyone's prayers. Obviously, that right. He knows, he knows what people are praying. Yeah. He's omniscient. So he knows what everybody has prayed, and he, he knows it. In fact, he knows what they're going to pray before they pray, I believe. I do, so, too. So, so he knows what people are asking for. He knows what people are saying when they pray. 
sure. He knows what people are praying when they're praying to a false god, for that matter. Absolutely. Uh, so, so in that sense, and I don't think I, I'm guessing, uh, but I, I'm pretty sure about this. Uh, I, I don't think Doctor Stanley would disagree with that. That God, God is aware of what everyone is praying and aware of what's in oh, the yeah. hearts. Oh yeah, always on, knows everything. Yeah. So he would, he would certainly, I would imagine, uh, be pretty safe in assuming that he would agree with that. I think what people are, maybe what he might be saying and what people sometimes mean by this is that God doesn't uh, affirmatively answer the prayers of people who aren't believers or that he doesn't give people what they want or what they want. That was the whole focus of my query, yeah. Yeah, and and I, I have news for folks. God often doesn't say yes to me. Oh, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> I've had that, too. Now, I think what I what I would say is this: If you're a believer and you're calling on God in prayer for something God has promised to do for His people, yeah, mm-hmm. He's going to do it. So He's going to bring comfort. He's going to bring assurance of of His love. He's going to bring. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he's going to receive His uh, people into His care when they pass away, when they die. Oh, yeah. uh, you know, those those things we can count on. Uh, he's going to forgive us of our sins if we confess them. Absolutely. Said, right. He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's a yeah, promise. Right. If you're a believer and you, and you go to God for forgiveness, you're assured of it. Hmm. Um, so there, those things, yes, you need to be someone who really is believing in God in order to avail yourself of those promises. So that's where I think we could agree on that. But as for other things... Yeah. Okay. The focus of my question is they don't get as much of a break as a born-again Christian who has faith in Christ, and that's a sealed deal. So what about, please comment, address those people whose prayers are not answered how do they fare? What's the results they get as a result of not having that status quo of being born again and kosher with God? And, Ray, I'm going to take you off the line because we're just about out of time with our show. So I'm going to take you off the line. Yeah, just, just very briefly, you know, God answers prayers according to what he sees is the best way to respond. So sometimes he gives people what they ask for. He, do, he can do that with a non-believer if he wants. He, sometimes he says no. Uh, sometimes he says that's not how this is going to work. <laughs> and, you know, sometimes it's wait. So that that's true whether it's a believer or an unbeliever. But if an unbeliever is praying and, and there's an impediment between him and God because of sin, because of unbelief, that does cause a problem. But that's a different kind of issue. And so I just want people to, God listens and he cares about you. He really does. But if you come to him with uh, an agenda that's not in keeping with his purposes, you're not going to get what you want. That's just, God is not a slot machine where you put in the nickel and you're guaranteed to get what you're you know, looking for. It's not how God works. Uh, it's not like a gumball machine. So God is sovereign. He he chooses how he's going to respond to prayers. He always does what is right. We don't always know what that is going to be. Okay, thank you so much. Rob, we got one more question. We got like a minute to answer. 
Jerry, you've been waiting a long time. Your question real, real quick. You calling me? Yes. Your question real fast. We're about out of out of time. This has been coming up. What is mind over matter? Can you just explain? Okay. All right, I'm going to take you off air. Rob, I'm going to give you a minute to answer that one. Yeah, I don't know if I can do it in a minute, but the, the concept of mind over matter can be taken one of two ways, one of which is, is fine and one of which isn't. Uh, human beings have minds, and through our minds, we can make decisions that where we are rising above just our material nature, where we're, we're doing something that seems, you know, humanly impossible sometimes simply because we are, we are creatures that God has endowed with the capacity to be creative and to, be, and to go beyond what is normal for us, to, to, to push our limits and so forth. And so that's, uh, that's a perfectly fine concept. Where we get into trouble is in the metaphysical notion of mind over matter, where the material is less real than the, than the mind, than, than the mental, where the mental can directly make things happen in the physical in other ways than just my making choices to do with my body what I'm choosing to do. So that's where we get into some trouble in the mind sciences like new thought, Christian science, uh, the, you know, religious science, those, those, the new age movement. Those concepts of mind over matter are not biblical, and they're not realistic either. All right. Thank you so much for that, oh, Dr. Bowman. Ladies and gentlemen, boy, we've had a full day. Uh, Dr. Bowman, thank you so much for joining us this week, and we're going to see you next week, and we're going to have a— Yeah. Yeah, looking forward to it. Ladies and gentlemen, you have been listening to the Bible Information Brokers with— uh, Brian Allen and Dr. Robert Bowman. I want to thank Andy for taking care of the phones and uh, engineering for us this evening. Um, do do me a favor. Tell tell two or three of your friends uh, to listen in tomorrow. Uh, listen in next week. Uh, I think Daryl will be back again. Pray for the professor. Uh, give him traveling mercies and just pray that the Lord will just move uh, use him mightily uh, with his trip. So with that being said, thank you for joining us. We'll be back next week, Lord willing, with another edition with the Bible Information Brokers. Good night and God bless.